www.cityumc.com. We are in Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 13. Here's what it says. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I got to admit to you up front, I don't particularly like this passage. The reason I don't like it is because evidently there are going to be some people when they get to heaven that are going to say that they're going to think that they're a shoe in. They're going to think that they know Jesus and find out too late that they never knew him. So how do I know that I'm not one of those people, right? Because I think that I know Jesus, I'm pretty sure, but evidently so are they. So how do I know that I can know that I'm one of the people that knows Jesus and I'm not one of the people that thinks they know Jesus but don't? This is uh, concerning to me. <laughs> and I don't like this idea that there's going to be some people who think they did but they didn't. So how can we know that we really know Jesus? That's what we're going to talk about today. Have y'all ever heard an, of an echo chamber? If I say the, the phrase echo chamber, y'all know what I mean, right? An echo chamber is a group of people who echo the same opinions and the same things to themselves over and over. And... And we, we enter into these echo chambers, and there's, there's a ton of them, right? You can get into an echo chamber about politics. I mean, th this has happened, right? You never have to encounter an opinion that goes against your opinion. You can just go to the social media feeds that already agree with you. You can watch the cable news stations that already align with your view. And if you ever encounter a view that's beside your view, it's in the context of, check out how horrible these guys are and how wrong they are, right? This is what an echo chamber does. It echoes our own views back to us. And the only time we ever encounter anybody that believes different, it's to tear them down. 
But I mean, it's not just about politics. I mean, <laughs> I've got a buddy who is really into cars and he's, he's into these car echo chambers online. You've got people that believe that Ford is the way to go. And if you have a Chevy, then you're doing it wrong. And you've got people that believe if you've got a Chevy, you're doing it right. And if you've got a Ford, then you're doing it wrong. And you can never convince either one of those groups that they're wrong because they're in this echo chamber online that they're they, they've invested this money into their truck, and so their truck is the best truck. And if you try to give any counter evidence for the other brand, well, then you're just wrong and stupid. This is how echo chambers work. I remember Dr. Seuss, when I was a kid, we read the Butter Battle book. You ever read that? That book is about echo chambers. There's one group of people that believes that you should butter your butter side up who are correct, and then there's the other echo chamber who butter their butter side down, which is just, well, the butter is just going to fall off. But anyway, these, these two groups of people, these two nations have these echo chambers, and you'll never convince them that the other side has any validity. And then they battle about it, and it's, about, it's kind of a parable about war. Christianity has echo chambers. Right? Our, we, we divide ourselves into denominations based on what we believe, and that way we don't ever have to encounter people who worship or believe different than us. Even within the faith, even within groups of people that confirm the historic creeds, we have these echo chambers. And it's, and, and it's worse now because now there are books and radio stations and and all of these things that reinforce our echo chambers outside of our Sunday morning experience. You never, ever have to encounter a point of view that you don't agree with, even in the church, unless it's to decry it as something horrible. And so, I say all of this, I'm talking about echo chambers, because our first instinct as human beings is to read about the wide gate that leads to destruction and the narrow gate that leads to salvation and to say, well, I guess my echo chamber is the one getting through the narrow gate and everybody else is a sucker who's going through that wide gate that leads to destruction. My echo chamber, my group is the one that's got it all figured out we know the right thing to do and the right thing to believe and the right way to be. And so my, my click of Christianity is in this narrow gate. And everybody else is walking through the wide gate. We hear Jesus say that only a few find, a, find this narrow gate. And we know that our echo chamber is the one that's few. And everybody that's not in it is the many. We think that the key to getting through the narrow gate has been discovered by our own tribe, our own echo chamber. And that makes sense to me because I wouldn't be a part of an echo chamber that I thought was leading me to destruction. I want to be a part of the right one. So of course mine is right because I'm the one that's in it, <laughs> right? It's kind of backwards logic, but that's how we do. And what we end up doing is that we end up thinking of ourselves not as sojourners who are trying to follow Jesus through the narrow gate, but we think that we are Jesus's gatekeepers for the narrow gate. Jesus has appointed me, the one who has figured it all out, to be the one who decides who gets through the narrow gate and who doesn't. 
this is our human tendency. We want to think of ourselves as the ones who have the key to the narrow gate because I can't, I can't even imagine what would happen if I found out that I was wrong, if I was the one that was going through the wide gate, if I was the one that Jesus said, oh, wait, I never knew you. I can't, I can't imagine that I would be that person, so I've got to know that I'm right. And if I know that I'm right, that means that everybody else is wrong. <laughs> but... When we look closely at Jesus' teaching about false prophets and true prophets and, and false disciples and real disciples, we discover something interesting. There is no ideological standard by which the narrow gate and the wide gate are measured. It is not about which faction or which echo chamber the teachers come from. Jesus doesn't say, you'll know a false teacher if they deviate from these particular teachings, then you know they're false, and if they adhere to these particular teachings, you know they're right. Instead, Jesus said, it's all about fruit. One of the things that's so deceptive about our world today is that we have come to believe that all the bad fruit comes from over there from all those other people. And all the good fruit comes from our own echo chamber. And so we don't discern anymore. We don't, we don't exercise our judgment to discern the teachers that we're listening to because, because they're from our tribe, therefore they must be right. Therefore, I'm not looking at the fruit from people in my tribe. I'm just looking at the bad fruit from everywhere else. And we outsource our discernment to our echo chambers so that we don't have to think about it. But I think the truth is, and what Jesus is getting at here, is that there is good fruit of faithful believers across many differing opinions and factions in Christianity. And guess what? There's bad fruit and abuse everywhere you go. My in-group is not is not um, free from abuse, free from bad fruit. And their in-group is not free from good fruit. We are quick to accept false prophets with bad fruit if they're saying stuff that tickles our ears, if they're aligning with the stuff we already agree with. And we're quick to dismiss a true prophetic word if it's too challenging for us or if it comes from a source that we already disagree with. But the good news of the gospel for us today is that Jesus does not give a lick about our echo chambers. He does not care. He operates outside of our echo chambers, within our echo chambers, despite our echo chambers most of the time. And that's a good thing. Jesus does not need my echo chamber to be the king. He just doesn't. He doesn't need me to gatekeep the narrow gate. He's the gatekeeper of the narrow gate, and he decides, and he bases it on fruit, not by alignment. Now, of course, there are things outside of historical Orthodox Christianity. I'm not talking about people that deny the virgin birth or deny the things that we affirm in our creeds, deny the Trinity. There is such a thing as heresy. And I'm not saying that heretics are fine as long as they 
you know, act nice. But what I am saying is that within the bounds of historic Christianity, there are a lot of different echo chambers, a lot of differing opinions. And we have made the mistake of elevating our opinions about things to primary issues where we should be examining fruit instead of opinion. So how do we evaluate teachers and teachings to make sure we're not being led astray? What is the good fruit that Jesus is asking us to look for? Well, I mean, Paul lays it out in Galatians. It's the fruit of the Spirit. We're looking for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the stuff we're looking for. And if we're following people that aren't, are unkind, frequently unkind, if we're following people that don't encourage us to be generous, if we're following people that are leading us to faithlessness, well, then we can probably guess that that's not the fruit that we're looking for. I think another way that we look for fruit is the Beatitudes. that We talked about the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the poor in spirit, those who are mourning, the meek, those that are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted. That's the kind of fruit that should be formed in us as we go closer to Christ. And so when we are evaluating who's getting in the narrow gate, how we get through the narrow gate, we have to look for the fruit. So we look for the fruit in our leaders. So often we just find people that we already agree with and just latch onto them. And then we find out later that that person was not worthy of our following. This has happened all over the place in the church. I mean, I feel like every day you find leaders that have these secret lives of abuse. One of them that came out recently uh, was a guy by the name of Bill Gothard. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He was big in like the Christian homeschooling movement a, a, a while ago. And uh, I remember my parents had this three-volume set of his books uh, where like it compared animals to, to good Christian things. And we didn't read those books hardly ever, but they looked good on the shelf. But the thing is, it came, came to light a few years ago that this guy was a predator. He was inviting young women to intern for him and then controlling them and touching them inappropriately and, and all kinds of stuff. And, and he had this serial thing where he would just keep bringing in these young women whose parents trusted him because he taught them this, this way. But the, he, he has this persistent pattern of abuse and harassment that got covered up by his organization. He had rotten fruit. And not only that, but he had these extremely patriarchal teachings that led to abuse in many families that followed his teachings. The fruit of the teachings themselves was bad. So we look at the fruit in our leaders, the ones that are doing the teaching, but a lot of times we don't have access to the leaders in our lives, right? You, know, you don't get to hang out with Bill Gothard on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Most people don't. So... What do we do in this age of mass media? When, you know, back in the Jesus's day, if you're hearing the teaching from someone, it means you're like in the same vicinity of them. 
But now I can hear teachings from someone, and I don't know what their character's like. I don't know what kind of fruit they're producing. So the other thing we can look for is the fruit in the followers of the teaching. Like we talk about Bill Gothard, right? He had this extreme patriarchal teaching where he says, you know, the husband is next to God and the wife is under him and the kids are under them. And so if you have a godly husband, it works out okay because the godly husband is doing, you know, the right thing. But if you get an ungodly husband or someone who just has problems with anger or, or other kind of stuff, then the wife has no, no way of, of, of getting out from under that because it's so patriarchal. They think that even, even if the husband is being abusive, that the wife just has to just live with it because the husband is, is over her in that way. And it led to abuse of so many children and so many women that just came out of the woodwork after this, this, teach, uh, this, this faithfulness in the leader came out. The teachings led to bad fruit in the followers. And this happened on a massive scale in America not all that long ago. In America, when we still had slaves, there were, there were, there were um, pastors that would have these, use the Bible to justify slavery. They would say, well, slavery is mentioned in the Bible and they don't say anything about it. They said that African-Americans were descended from Ham, which is one of Noah's sons, and therefore they deserve any slavery that they're in. And so they used the Bible to excuse the widespread rape, murder, kidnapping, and abuse of people for centuries, and the church upheld it. And Christians bought it hook, line, and sinker. And it produced a rotten fruit in American white Christianity for a really long time. Because that fruit was not in line with love, joy, peace, and patience. It was in line with controlling others. So we look at the fruit in the, in the leaders. We look at the fruit in the followers. The third thing we do is we look in the fruit in ourselves. What kind of fruit is this teaching producing in me? Do the books that I'm reading and the teachings I'm hearing make me more meek? Do they make me more joyful? Do they make me more merciful? Do they make me more self-controlled? Do they make me more obedient to God? Or do they make me haughty and arrogant? It's a question we have to ask ourselves. Is the teaching that I'm hearing producing good fruit in my life and in my heart, or is my following of this ideology making me further from God? Because if that fruit isn't showing up in my life as a result of the theology I'm learning and the doctrine I'm following, then maybe I've got to examine it. So we look for the fruit in the leader, we look for the fruit in the followers, and we look for the fruit in ourselves. So the question at the end has to still be, how do I know that I'm getting through the narrow gate? How can I be sure? I think there are some signs that we can have. First of all, we don't outsource our discernment to our echo chambers. We just can't do it. We have to look for the fruit. We have to look especially hard for the fruit of the people inside our echo chambers because they're the ones that are most likely to lead us astray. Don't outsource your discernment 
to the people that tickle your ears with the things you already agree with. Discern what is good fruit and discern it based on scripture. Discern whether it's producing love, joy, peace, and patience in your life or whether it's producing the opposite. Discern whether it's making you more like the Beatitudes or less like the Beatitudes. The second thing we have to discern is don't fall into the trap of thinking that giftedness is the same as fruitfulness. This is a, a big problem, especially in the modern church, because there are people that are great preachers, excellent musicians. They have gifts, but they're using them to, to produce a theology that's giving bad fruit. And Jesus said this. He said there are people that would cast out demons in his name and prophesy in his name that didn't actually know him, that weren't producing the fruit. They have the gifts. They can do amazing things, but the things aren't the point. The fruit is the point. And we have, we, we have this problem in the modern church where we think that people having large numbers surrounding them coming to your church, that your attendance being high or that your podcast gets a lot of downloads or whatever your metric is, that that giftedness means that you're being faithful and fruitful. And, and we can excuse all kinds of bad behavior and say, well, he may be pretty sorry, but at least he's reaching so many people for the gospel. And how can we stop reaching these many people for the gospel? So we'll just put up with this sorry behavior from an abusive leader as long as we're getting butts in the seats. But that's wrong. Jesus said not to look for the reach, to look for the fruit. That's the next thing we can do. Be on the lookout for good fruit. Good fruit comes from good trees, Jesus says. It seems obvious, but we tend, to, we tend to excuse away all kinds of bad fruit, or we tend to ignore good fruit when we see it in someone in our opposite echo chamber. Good fruit comes from good trees. Bad fruit comes from bad trees. So look for the fruit and celebrate the fruit wherever you find it. If you see good fruit in the opposite echo chamber, you can celebrate that. God's doing a work in that person. It might be not, they might do a ton of stuff you disagree with, but God's at work somewhere because they're making good fruit. If you see bad fruit in your own echo chamber, call it out. You don't have to protect people that are doing bad fruit just because they're saying some stuff you agree with. Celebrate the good fruit in our own echo chambers too. And the whole point is that we're supposed to draw near to Jesus. If you are drawing near to Jesus in prayer, in devotion, if you're drawing near to Jesus in worship, then you're going to get to know him. And as you get to get to know him, you're going to become more like Christ. And what Scott Knight calls Christiformity, you'll become more like him. And as you become more like him, you will grow that good fruit. The narrow gate is not about being right about our opinions. It's about being formed by Jesus into a good tree that bears good fruit. I think we will be surprised when we get to heaven. The people that were on the opposite side of our echo chambers that are going to be there and the people that we thought were going to be there that weren't. Because it's not about right opinion 
It's about good fruit. And so today, I don't, I don't know where you're standing on this. I don't know where you've been on it. I don't know what the fruit has been in your life. But let's take some time to commit ourselves to being good trees that bear good fruit this morning. Let's commit ourselves to not being about our echo chambers, to get outside of that nonsense and to say, where is the fruit that God is trying to put into me and how can I grow it better? And let God sort out all the echo chamber stuff. Let's commit to being good trees with good fruit this morning. If you feel like your fruit is inconsistent with the fruit of the Spirit, if you feel like you've been following teachings that have been making you less like Christ's, I want to invite you to come to the altar and do business with God this morning. If you feel like you've been outsourcing your discernment to other people, to other groups, I want to invite you to come to the altar and do some business with God this morning. Because the narrow gate is for those who know Christ and are being shaped to be more like him. And that is it. Let's commit to being those people today. Let's go to God in prayer. God, I pray that you will show us good fruit, what it looks like, what it is like. God, I pray that you will help us to look outside of our echo chambers so that we can have a, a wide view of your mercy. Help us to see the good fruit that you're producing in people and to turn away from the rotten fruit that is so easily deceptive. Make us more like you, Father, so that we may enter that narrow gate and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Make us more like you this morning, Jesus. Here now I pray. Amen.